I know the consumer is ready to go get drinks made by the bartender in the worst way. I know that. It always tastes better when someone else makes it for you. And and they do a better job. It's not it's not just in your mind. <laughs> this is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 303. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, I'm back at work. It was three months to the day that I re- returned to work since my last shift, thank- thanks to stupid COVID. Uh, it was really weird being back. It's it's good, but it's a bit nerve-wracking and, and difficult. Wearing a mask all day is unpleasant, I must admit, but absolutely necessary. Reminding people to put their masks on when they approach the bar is also unpleasant, but necessary. Where I work, we're lucky to have tons of outdoor space. Almost everyone has been eating and drinking outside, which I'm good with that. After being so careful for three months, barely leaving the house, I'm not wanting to get this thing. We have uh, cleaners. We have two different kinds of sanitizers. One is spray and wipe for every time someone leaves a table or pretty much touches anything. And the other is a powerful spray and leave that we use on pretty much everything at the end of the night from tables, chairs, door handles, all, all whatever you can think of. So this is the new normal, I guess. But one side effect to oh, this whole corona thing is that the conferences like Tales of the Cocktail and Bar Convent Brooklyn will be 100% virtual this year, which, I mean, I wish they were happening in real life, but obviously that's not an option this year. The good news is if you've never been or you haven't been able to take off from work or whatever, uh, maybe you can attend some of these events this year online. So Bar Convent Brooklyn is in August. They haven't announced the exact dates yet as far as I can tell, um, but their website is Bar Convent Brooklyn. Brooklyn.com. And then uh, Tales of the Cocktail is September 21st through 24th. And their website is talesofthecocktail.org. So uh, you might want to go, there's there's tons of useful stuff on those sites already, but maybe you want to go subscribe to the email list there to keep up to date with that stuff. And uh, one more thing I wanted to mention, if you're a hospitality professional, you can get a free print edition of Chilled Magazine mailed to you, which is kind of cool. And you just go to Chilled Magazine, uh, well, specifically chilledmagazine.com. And then uh, if you want to go right to the sign up thing, it's uh, chilledmagazine.com slash free dash trade dash subscription. All right, we're going to talk with Chris Timmerman of Dano's Tequila. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Where do we find you in the world today? I am in beautiful Steamboat Springs, Colorado at the moment, headquarters of uh, Dano's. Got some right here. Great stuff. How long has the brand been around? We have been here in the U.S. for uh, about a year and a half, and we actually... uh, are partnered with the second oldest tequila distillery in the entire world uh, down in Tequila Jalisco, fourth generation family owned small batch handcrafted. Just it's really the, the reason why our tequila is the best tequila in the world is because it's coming out of a really old distillery uh, that really honors the craft process. It's, it's really something. Well, I was lucky enough to visit the town of Tequila uh, in January myself, which was really, it's an amazing place, amazing place. Uh, I was a guest of uh, Fortaleza. Yeah, right. Oh, nice. Sure. We know the Fortaleza family right up the, right up the road the, uh, from, from our distillery. They're the very next distillery next to us. Oh, my gosh. Very nice family. Yeah, yeah. great, great people. Yeah, I must have walked by the distillery uh, several yeah. times. <laughs> I'm sure you did. It's a it's a small town. Really, really nice town. Very nice people. Very cool town. Oh my gosh, we had, we had a great time and great hosts. And uh, we we saw some other distilleries in the town as well. 
So it was a really great trip. But um, I did uh, learn quite a bit about tequila production. So uh, I was glad to hear that you use the uh, traditional methods. And um, right, we want to talk about that, the traditional methods? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, traditionally, tequila is simply spring water and agave. And um, all spirits are made out of some sort of fermentable sugars, uh, whether it's uh, potatoes or uh hops or or grapes uh so agave is what tequila is made from and when you steam the agave plant uh it converts the uh starch of the agave plant into fermentable sugars and then that is squeezed and added to uh fermentation tanks uh and spring water is added and it's fermented into uh uh alcohol and then distilled in old copper stills and um and that's that's the tequila process and and the starting point being mature agave with the right amount of sweetness you know bricks tested for sweetness uh, then roasted or steamed in a in a hornos a, a stone oven for maybe 45 to 50 hours something like that and then crushed and squeezed and and turned into the fermentation and the copper tanks for distillation Right. So, uh, and there's, there's shortcuts that, um, some brands use, uh, to, to, to get it, but, um, you're, first of all, you're, uh, harvesting the, um, agave after a minimum of eight years, right? Yes. And, and they're also, and they're tested for bricks. It could be anywhere from seven to nine years, but, but, uh, cause they mature, uh, they, they develop different sweetness levels, uh, different levels of sugar at different ages, but so you still, Bricks test them for the right level of sugar, and they they average about eight years. That's when full maturity is. And not to get off topic, but a lot of the mass-produced tequilas uh, to to make the volume and hit the price points they are aspiring to, they use very immature agave, uh, maybe three or four years old. And because of the lack of sugar content, it makes for uh, not a very smooth, uh, delicious tequila. And then they typically... um, add some things, you know, some additives to uh, sweeten it up and smooth it up to uh, make it more palatable. But that's, that's not, that's not what we're about. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, when it comes to the cooking as well, there's different ways to do that, but you're using the traditional um, oven method, right? Right. Exactly. So yeah, just talking about the traditional method in a little more detail. Yeah. So we're using actual uh, stone ovens. They are the oldest hornos in the world. Our, our distillery is the second oldest after Cuervo, but uh, the Hornos that we're cooking the agave in is the oldest because uh, Cuervo doesn't use that old distillery anymore. It's gone, you know. So, I mean, we are literally cooking our agave in a 180-year-old stone oven with 180 years of flavor imparted into the stone from all the agave roasting. It's, and, it's a, and, it's a, and it's a real art, the way they stack the agave to get the right uh, flow of steam while they're roasting the agave and, and the right pressure uh, uh, in, the, in the oven. So there's a pass-through on both sides of a big stone wall. Out here, the agave comes in, and uh, the workers, you know, they all, like, it's, it's big agave. I mean, when, when, and you know this, like that little road, Salsa Mora, Francisco, that you walk down all the way down to see Fortaleza at the other end. You, you go by Salsa, you know, Cuervo, then Salsa, you know, all that. So they all have trucks with little agave like this. But when a truckload of our agave goes through town, the children and even adults like follow it to the hacienda to see like who's getting this big agave like this big, you know, because they don't see it very often. And then the workers like to pick the biggest one and hold it over their heads, you know, kind of like 
you know, uh, it's a thing, you know, but, but, uh, and then, and then, and then they, the really big ones, they cut in half, you know, to get the steam in there better, you know, but, but, uh, so they load up the oven just the right way and then lock it up. And then on the other side, when it's done, the, the door opens and it goes into the, uh, the crusher, you know, where it all gets crushed up and, and moves forward from there. Um, so the, uh, the oven is a big part of that. Uh, obviously, uh, very few tequila distilleries are using a old Hornos original style anymore because it's more expensive and lower volume and slower, but, but it's way better, you know, and, and the really big guys are using diffusers and autoclaves. They don't even actually steam it. They're actually just like, um, incinerating it in, into dry husks. And then it goes somewhere else and gets water added to it to turn it into like reconstituted, uh, you know, uh, aguamel or juice, honey, you know, for the, for, for the fermentation process. It's, it's not even how you make tequila, but and so there's, so people ask, why is there such a difference between a really high quality sipping tequila that's smooth and sweet and all natural, no additives versus, uh, less, lesser tequilas. And it's all about the process every step of the way. And just jumping in one more very big differential uh, is uh, open fermentation. So we use open fermentation, meaning that the tanks are open and there's open air coming in the building. I mean, there's there's no windows, there's just opening. So air is flowing through. And the big guys down there are actually trying to petition to not allow open fermentation because they don't do it. And and it's a an artisan tequila makers do it and and to just to try to you know bring everyone down to their level you know pretty funny uh, but but all that being said they're everyone in the industry down there they're all friendly they all take good care of the community you know it's a it's a tremendous industry to be in on the Mexican side of the border as as well as as up here in the states you know the spirits business but but um, the open fermentation is uh, it. Um, it's it's more difficult to control, but if you control it properly, it uh, it makes for a much uh, sweeter, better better tasting tequila because of the natural yeast that you're using. And and our family's been using the same yeast; they've had it in the family for 180 years. I mean, it's like it's they when they empty out the fermentation tank, they leave a little bit in the bottom of the tank, and then it's there for the, they've been doing it for 180 years. Pretty crazy. And um, another really cool, this is another piece of tequila education that I, you know, you learn something new all the time down there, but um, part of the open fermentation process and the handcrafted and making it so perfect, uh, besides the family yeast that goes way back and the 180 year old Hornos uh, with the flavors in the stone. So now we're in the fermentation process and they've got fruit trees planted all around the fermentation tanks that are like uh, uh, mango and uh, uh, grapefruit, uh, uh, citrus, uh, lime, um, orange, and it's to create just the right, uh, microorganisms, uh, to create just the right, um, you know, speed of fermentation and all that, you know, so it's all natural and very, uh, very much a part of what makes the tequila pretty well, unique, unique and special for sure. And the best, really the best. I was very fascinated to find out that um, more tequila is exported from Mexico than drunk in Mexico. And of those exports, more than half of it is to the U.S. It's pretty interesting. It's really something. It's quite a big industry. And, and uh, you know, there's 1,300 tequila brands, I think, in the U.S., something like that. So, um, so where's the name come from, Danos? 
Well, the name comes from uh, my buddy Dano. So uh, Dano, Danny Thompson is his name. And Danny and I have been friends for 30 years. We're surfing buddies. And um, he's uh, he's got Hawaiian heritage and Mexican heritage. And so he's actually been making for many years uh, a uh, pineapple and jalapeno infused Blanco tequila in his you know garage, just in a big jug, like soaking pineapple and jalapenos in, in uh, tequila and um, squeezing it, straining it and making this uh, fresh fruit infused tequila that, um, you know, you, you can't taste the alcohol. And uh, everybody always goes to his parties and drinks a jug of that stuff. And so his name's Danny, but because he's Hawaiian and, you know, that's where the Dano, like Bookham Dano, you know, Dan, Dano is Hawaiian for Danny. So that's, so that's where the Dano comes from. So, uh, of course, uh, I said, and 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 my background is I, I started the first organic baby food company in, uh, in the country and and uh, sold it, and then I uh, had a fly fishing business and uh, a dog products business. So I've like started quite a few brands and done very well with those brands and um, had a lot of experience uh, growing a brand. And Danny had had the the juice, you know, so. The two of us went down to Tequila Jalisco uh, to hang out for a few weeks and see what's up, see if we could find someone to make his pineapple jalapeno infusion for us and kind of launch a company around that product. And after really spending a lot of time down there, drank every tequila, probably a couple hundred different varieties of tequila, we ended up stumbling upon this young lady, Sylvia, who had just inherited the distillery. And she... uh, wasn't sure what she was going to do. She had just inherited it. Uh, she wasn't sure she was going to keep it running. Uh, she didn't really have, uh, she wasn't sure, you know, and, and, but we drank some of her Blanco on a warm summer day, like right out of the bottle. And, and it was so much sweeter and smoother than anything we'd had down there. I mean, anything, it just kind of blew me away. I was like, what, what is this? You gotta be kidding me. And, um, it was really that, that much of a, an impact. Well, let's try the, uh, pineapple. Oh uh, yeah, this is this is kind this of this is pretty special. This, this is, is what really started it all. This is it, you know. This is where you know because it's tough, but you can kind of feel it. You know, it's kind of a kind of a dual branding thing, you know. Because I've had people say, "Well, like Dano's dangerous tequila. That doesn't really exude world's oldest tequila distillery, handcrafted, old family. You know, the best there." And I'm like, "Well, no, it doesn't. You're right." And so you really need that other part of the story, which is. Uh, the Danos, you know, from Hawaii and book, you know, the Dano uh, and the pineapple infusion. And then the other part of it too, and this is, and I didn't really mention this exactly, but also everywhere you'd go, like even when we've done big festivals and had a thousand people come through and you've got it like staring right at them, like see the dangerous right there, you know, and it's staring right at them, but they'll just, but they'll just drink it and they'll look at you and they'll say, wow, that's dangerous. And they'd be like, oh, there it is, you know, <laughs> and it's the funniest thing. And, uh, and that's, what's up with the pineapple here. Yeah. It's really, it's uh, very fresh smelling. And unlike like some of the other flavored tequilas, like flavored vodkas or anything else, they use a, um, and they get to call it all natural, but it's like a paste. It's like a reconstitution of something. This is real chunks of pineapple, like squeezed and, you know, so, I mean, I've, I should send you pictures, but pictures of ladies cutting into chunks, soaking real chunks of pineapple in the Blanco then squeezing it, straining it, and then that's and we leave a lot of pulp in there too. 
you can really smell the fruit, you know. And the uh, jalapeno is not overwhelming. You know, I, I'm not really a fan of spicy drinks, but I wouldn't say this is overly spicy at all. It's just enough to um, to balance out the, the sweetness. I agree. I think it's really perfectly balanced. And I've also said that quite often to the, the people who say like, well, I'm not a jalapeno person. I mean, I don't want I don't like spice. And I talk them into it. You know, I'm like, oh, just try it. I, it's not there's no real there's no burn. You know, it's OK. It's just a little warmth in fact what i've kind of developed like from talking to people who taste better than i do is like it's more like the green of the jalapeno than the heat of the jalapeno you know because we cut the jalapenos in half and we take the seeds out and then we just soak the jalapenos you know and we don't and we don't squeeze the jalapenos so it's a very delicate just enough to balance out the sweetness not not we're not we're not trying to add heat like we have bars that say okay well what if i just took this and substituted it for my Blanco, for my house margarita and called it the spicy margarita. And I said, that's great, man. Done. Perfect. You're done. You don't have to, you don't have to reinvent anything, but you might, you might want to call it the, the pine, the fresh fruit margarita instead of the spicy margarita, unless you want to like muddle, you know, something else in there. Maybe you want to muddle a jalapeno in there, you know, or stick a real jalapeno. Yeah. No, if you made a margarita with this, I mean, now you're adding lime juice and uh, some orange liqueur. I I don't think it would, you get much spices at all yeah at that exactly point. So that's it, i mean just I drinking say. it straight it's not right not really so that's spicy. why and, and i'm just saying like i've had that conversation you know i've seen the evolution when you talk to people over time you know just people saying oh because they see jalapeno and they want to go to spicy and you got to bring them back and say yeah it's not you know let's make a spicy margarita out of it but and call it your spicy margarita but the recipe is going to be you know add some jalapeno or add some habanero or or maybe some um habanero bitter there's some there's some stuff i almost want to just put that in the in a in a blender or make a slushy with it and it's different too so there's nothing else really like it so it's it's kind of our foot in the door in a lot of locations you know when we go to a new and same thing like when you're when you're getting into a new on-premise and you want to get a drink on the menu they probably have a pretty well-developed menu and uh it's a little bit easier to introduce something special and different, you know, like the pineapple to uh, find a place on the menu. And it would be easy to easy to reproduce. You know, if you made a cocktail with this, maybe just with lime juice and uh, one other modifier, you know, it'd be easy, easy for bartenders to do and quick and fast. You know, you, you don't have to model. Yeah. You don't have to add fr- uh, separate fruit juice yeah. or whatever. And that's a, and that's the thing, too. And you see that out there and it's like everyone there's different. There's a, there's a time and a place for everything. And, you know, you'll, you'll, I, I do believe that uh, overall a bar and a bartender wants to be able to make a cocktail quickly, easily and get it out, you know, and, and to keep the numbers up, you know, absolutely. Uh, but I also think there's a place for a real craft and this is special and take some time. And, you know, uh, we're trying to show some craft and, and I see that like in a few, not many, but, but there's a few, uh, bars that like to do their own infusing you know they'll take their own rail tequila and and they'll have big jars you know uh above the bar where they like to make their own concoctions and um and i can only and so they might not want the pre-made ready to go because part of their whole mo is uh we're bringing that element of the craft to the bar here you know so it's good they're on they're on they're they're with us you know that always looks kind of cool to have that behind the bar and people are, you know, and it's a talking point and people are like, well, what is that? That looks good. Let me try that. And then, but you know, it, it rarely works out well because it changes over time, you know, and, and the fruit 
starts to ferment in there, I guess, or I don't know, maybe it doesn't ferment yeah. because of the alcohol, but you know, the, it, cha- it, it changes it over does. time, you know, it and it's, you know, there's a sweet spot. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't do it often, but you know, probably three days, maybe there's a sweet spot and it's, then it's good, you know, but before that it's not that great. And then after that, it just gets, goes downhill quick. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it, there's an art to it and there's a cost to it also, but I think, yes, it's, there's the theater of it. Uh, there's the, um, the craft of it. And then financially, you know, typically, you know, if you use your rail tequila, you can probably create your own infusions for, you know, 50 cents to drink less or something, you know, I mean, you might get a lower drink cost or something like that. But it's funny because, you know, we talk about drink costs because that's one of the things I do is overcome drink cost objections because they're buying their rail for half of what our tequila costs. And you can't argue if you're selling a million margaritas and, you know, it's 50 cent difference, that's a lot of money at the end of the year. And once you're mixing a drink, that the, can you really even tell the difference and all that, you know? So that's that's one of the things we, we fight or, you know, try to battle. But we've found some real pioneers and real... Uh, like that agave restaurant in Delaware, they're paying up for the cost of the tequila and they added a little bit of cost to their margarita. And and it's why they're so successful. They want the best food and the best cocktails and, and they have a reputation for it. And so it pays, you know, and it's a smart move. Well, that's the thing, man. If it, you know, if you want to sell, if you want your house base level margarita, you know, the, the place where I got takeout from the other day, they had, you know, eight different margaritas that they'd make you know, different levels of quality, you know, which, you know, is one way to do it to upcharge for the ingredients that you're selling. But then on the other hand, you know, it's, it's a different business model. Maybe your base level house margaritas is, is great. You know, you're not, right. you're not right. selling crap. Yeah. No, I say that about Rocco's tacos, their house margarita, ask my wife, she'll tell you it is the best. Those guys, their output per seat in the restaurant is off the charts. I mean, it's off the charts. Wow, amazing. Well, it sounds like you're doing some cool things. You know, I think open-minded thinkers about how do we, how does everybody succeed, you know, and and how do we, uh, you know, also take care of everyone in our community. And this isn't just some bullshit. I just want to tell you, (laughs) just off the record, but, you know, we we really care about everybody. We really do. And, um, you know, from supporting all the bartenders we can and contributing heavily everywhere we can to uh, our, our distributors, our, um, our consumers, our, our workers at the Hacienda. We, we, really, we really take good care of everybody that we're involved with in our world, you know, because uh, that's how we feel about it. And, we, and it means a lot to us. And it's not, a, it's, not a marketing, it's not a marketing thing. I'm just telling you so you know it. We're, we're a good company doing good things and, and, and we're nice. We're nice people. You know, we're very nice people. And, and we have a lot of fun as a result. It's like we are having. It's yeah, really it's more fun to be nice, right? right? <laughs> yeah, man. And you know what? As my, yeah, and you catch a lot more flies with honey than vinegar too, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's good to, yeah, it's good to be nice. You're either a giver or a taker. We're definitely, we're, we're givers. And, and I've seen it in the industry too, you know, even com- competitors, with me, we're, we're like best friends and we all like, you meet all you, everybody knows everybody. It's a, uh, it's a very friendly. And I, and I think it's easy to be friendly when there's like plenty of business for everybody, I guess, you know, there's nobody fighting over anything. It's like, well, it's also like, you know, let's, let's raise this category of premium tequila, you know, as a, as a, as a whole, as a, as an industry rather than, you know, fight Absolutely. with each other. 
Yeah, no, the whole, yeah, the tide is going to raise every ship. Absolutely. And so we're, we're happy to ride the wave and, and, and get raised up with the tide, but we're also wanting to be on the absolute front edge of that, you know, with, you know, how do you, how do you make your story really authentic? Uh, have a really authentic story. Right. You know, something that's not made up by the marketing department. Yeah, no, it's, it's easy, man. I, I have to hold back sometimes because I get overly excited about it. Fun Good, stuff. man. Well, con- yeah. congratulations and continued success. And thanks so much well, for talking to me. This was a lot of fun. I got thanks, a little bit, too, little bit left of uh, Reposado to toast you with. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm gonna, let me hit the repo one more time. Ah, <laughs> oh, you took me. You got me in trouble. All right. Oh, huh? boy. Hey, well, cheers, thanks, Chris. Brian. Such a cheers pleasure to meet you. Have your you too, man. Look, look forward to staying in touch. You too. Take care. Thank you, man. Okay, stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Cheers. <laughs>